The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with C. Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Driver Butler, Mike Gibson, talking to you about heart failure. Big day yesterday, release of the heart failure guidelines. Walk us through some of the key updates. Yeah, so I think it uh, has started bringing much needed attention to some things that all of us were really confused about, but there's this how to treat heart failure patients across the range of ejection fractions. So like one big thing is that now SGLD2 inhibitors have a class one recommendations for HEFREF. That was very much to be expected, the European, the Canadian, all the guidelines. So that really did not come as a surprise, but it's good to now have the guidelines updated. The issue is what to do with ejection fraction over 40%. So I think very much similar to the European guidelines, now there's a class two recommendation, 2A for SGLT2 and 2B for the other therapies like MRAs and ARNI, all the way up to 50. And now the so-called true HEF-PEF over 50% also have a SGLT2 inhibitor indication 2A right now. I assume we're waiting for the delivered trial and that might get upgraded. So this increasing uh, recognition to give guideline recommendation and not just say treat congestion and comorbidities but have specific therapies is really exciting. You know, you use the word true PEF-PEF. What do we call 40 to 50? Yeah, so that's the heart failure with mildly reduced ejection fraction. So we're calling it HEF-MREF? Yeah, HF-MREF. It used to be heart failure with uh, uh, mid-range ejection fraction. Now it's heart failure with mildly reduced ejection fraction. If I were to look in the crystal ball, I think all this will go away and we'll just dichotomize it at 50 or 55%. Mm-hmm. But we're taking steps and we'll, we'll mm-hmm. get there. Mm-hmm. What else? Any other big updates? Bob, we conducted the diamond trial. I'm excited mm-hmm. to present the, yes. the, the results yes. of the diamond trial. So that's yes. exciting for me. Talk to us a little bit about that. Hyperkalemia, a common problem with the management of some of these patients. Tell us a little bit about the agent and what you studied. Yeah, so, you know, patients with HEF-REF, I mean, there is, you know, 30, 40 years worth of data with uh, RAS inhibitors, ASR, ARNI, MRA, even beta blockers can cause hyperkalemia. So all of these therapies reduce mortality. We know that from many, many trials. And all of these therapies increase the risk of hyperkalemia. Uh, the, another problem is that the patients at the highest risk for adverse outcomes are also at the highest risk of developing hyperkalemia, mm. right? So these are your CKD, diabetic, older patients. And now the clinicians are faced with a difficult choice that they either live with a high K and risk arrhythmias or other complications and obtain managed RASI therapy or lower the RASI therapy, get normal kalemia, not have the risk, but the, the primary disease gets worsened over time with, uh, with suboptimal RASI therapy, especially MRA. And this is not really an issue, although our trial was, was more focused on HEFREF, uh, but it's an issue for diabetes and CKD and other diseases as well. So Diamond trial was originally designed to control potassium levels in two groups of patients, those with current hyperkalemia and RASI therapy, or those that have a history of hyperkalemia related to RASI, where RASI therapy was compromised, either discontinued or lowered the doses, whose therapy was optimized on pterumer, and then there was a withdrawal design, so randomized to either continue pterumer and RASI therapy or withdraw the pterumer, 
and then see what happens and look at the clinical endpoint. So that was the idea behind the trial. And numbers of patients, duration of therapy, primary endpoints? Yes, so that's, that's, that, that's the problem that our trial, like many of the trials, got into trouble with COVID, oh. but, but our trial got into trouble with COVID even more. So the usual things are enrollment gets slowed down, but more importantly, the event rates were much lower for the past couple of years and all those kind of stuff. But remember, we are taking a high-risk group of patients where we are forcing RASI therapy, but all of this is completely predicated on two facts, that we can continue to ship and supply the IP mm -hmm. and people can come in for recurrent lab tests. And when we couldn't guarantee, we changed the focus in the primary endpoint from morbidity mortality to looking at uh, potassium control, and then we had a statistical five uh, endpoints of hierarchy uh, looking at all aspects. So we look at comprehensive RASI use, time to first hyperkademic event, time to discontinuation of MRA, uh, comprehensive RASI use across all uh, RASI agents. So that was the endpoint which was changed. So we had a little Was it a win ratio? Yes, yeah, so that Great. was a win ratio. So mm -hmm. there were two win ratios. One win ratio looked at mortality, morbidity, and then potassium greater than 6.5, 6 to 6.5, and 5 to 6. So that was one ratio. And the other win ratio was mortality, hospitalization, and then all three RASI doses, oh, medication at recommended doses, at sub-recommended doses, or not on any of the mm -hmm. therapy. So these were the two win ratios we created. I really like this new approach with the win ratio. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And what did you find? So what we found was that in our run-in phase, the good news was that about 878 of a little north of 1,000 patients were able to be optimized. So one question people have is that, sure, even if you have hyperkalemia and even if you give the binders, you will not be able to optimize therapy because low blood pressure, dizziness, creatinine bumps. So we were able to optimize with the potassium binder uh, uh, therapy in 85% of the patients. So that was yeah. obviously non-blinded, open-label, run-in phase. But that was a really pleasant result. And in the randomized phase, by the time we stopped the study, there was a better control, the primary endpoint, better control of serum potassium level with pterumer, which was not a surprise. We know mm -hmm. that pterumer does that. But simultaneously, we had much better uh, use of RASI therapy and much less about, for different endpoints, about a 30 to 35% relative risk reduction in time to first uh, hyperkalemia event and cumulative hyperkalemia event. So you sort of win in all three ways that you don't have enough uh, hyperkalemia, you don't have as many hyperkalemic events, you have better potassium control, and simultaneously optimize RASI therapy. Now, we have a shorter follow-up and we don't have enough endpoints to make any head or tail of the endpoints, uh, but at least you can conclusively say that you can optimize heart failure therapy and control potassium at the same time, uh, but then there's a little bit of a leap of faith that optimal medical therapy will lead to good outcomes, but we don't have those data. Well, we probably have that data from other trials, yes. but not in this side In this, this particular trial, trial. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, congratulations. Thank We're you. We're running a big, COVID, a big trial right now. I know how hard it is with yes. COVID and war, and uh, you know, getting trials Absolutely. done these days is tough. Congratulations on getting this across the line, Javed. And thanks to all of you for joining us here live from ACC 2022.